Would you all uh, turn to Luke chapter 14? We're going to be in verses 28 through 33. Luke 14, 28 through 33. We at uh, CLC do what y'all do here at Faith and Victory. Uh, we preach through scripture. and uh, I preached this sermon um, maybe three weeks ago. I also preached it about an hour ago, as a matter of fact. Um, uh, and as I was praying, um, I was like, Lord, I just want you to, what, what do you want me to bring? What do you want me to bring forward? Because it's a unique opportunity when you're someone who preaches through scripture and you get invited to preach somewhere else, you get a unique opportunity, uh, to say, okay, open book, anything that you want, Lord. And this is what he brought me to. So I think he's got something for you this morning. Jesus is talking about the cost of discipleship, starting at verse 28, Luke 14, 28. For which of you, Jesus says, desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build a tower and was not able to finish. Or what king, Jesus asks, going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way away, will he not send a delegation and ask for terms of peace? So the sermon before this, um, Jesus, Jesus was talking right before this. Jesus introduces this counting the cost. He introduces with, with these sayings. He says, listen, if you don't hate your mother and your father and, and, and your brother and your sister, even if you don't hate yourself, and take up your own cross and follow me, you're not worthy to be my disciple. And so I thought about preaching that sermon. The title of that one was Hate Yourself, but I decided to um, give you a little bit of grace this morning and uh, let Matt use the bully pulpit. Um, Don't worry, this one will beat you up too, okay? No, you all came to get beat up this morning. Um, No, I, I really hope... This is what I hope. I hope that Faith and Victory is a church that's all in for Jesus. Yes. And I mean all in. Yes. Like either all in or just get out. Yes. Like, like great guest preacher, tell people to leave. Man, if you're not all in for Jesus, get all in this morning yes. or go home and live your life. Yes. I want you to be all in for Jesus. And that's what this message is about. Counting the cost, being all in for Jesus. Father, I pray that you would bless this message and Lord, that you would speak through me. Holy Spirit, let this not be my words, but your words. Holy Spirit, I ask that I would speak what you would have me to say, and moreover, that you would come and that you would anoint everyone listening, that you would be their ears, and that they would hear what you have them to hear, so that each and every individual in this room today can leave looking more like you than they came in before. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Got two points this morning. Point one, count the cost of building your life on Christ. Count the cost of building your life on Christ. Luke 14, 28 through 30. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he's laid the foundation but doesn't have enough money to finish it, people will look on at him and mock him, saying, this man begin." began to build and was not able to finish. Count the cost of building your life on Christ. If you're going to be a Christian, if you're going to follow Jesus, then what you're saying is, I'm building my life on the foundation of Christ Jesus. 
Now here's how life works. Life works, you get born and a foundation begins being poured the second you get born. I was talking to Pastor Matt about this yesterday on the road. Uh, We were driving and we were talking about how even young children who are adopted at the age of one or two can have things that have happened to them in those first early years. And even though they get adopted at two and don't remember the first two years of their life and they get adopted by a Christian family who loves them and takes care of them, even in those first year and two years, the foundation has already begun to be poured. And even though the kids don't know it, their life has been shaped by what's been done to them. And so it is for all people. When we're born, our foundation immediately begins to be poured. Do I have a mother who loves me? Do I have that skin-to-skin contact? Do I feel secure? Do I feel safe? Kids who grow up with parents who fight a lot are likely to get married and fight with their wife or their husband. Kids who, who grow up and their parents are thieves grow up to be thieves. Kids who grow up and their parents are liars grow up to be liars. I got a friend in Cedar Rapids. Maybe I wouldn't say friend, an acquaintance. And, he, and he's, he's a criminal, and he likes to rob and steal, and I think he's in prison. He got shot like eight times by the cops for stealing a car and trying to run him over. Turns out that's a bad idea. And, and I, I was talking to him because I was trying to disciple him. I'm like, dude, what got you in the life of crime? He was like, man, my dad taught me. He always taught me growing up, everybody's got one bank robbery in them. I can get, everyone get away with one. And so I robbed the bank and I got away with it and it was fun. And I'm like, dude, his foundation was built because this is the way he was raised. And, and now he's in prison reaping the consequences of that foundation. Whether you had a good family, a bad family, no family, whatever it was, even unbeknownst to you, your foundation began to be poured when you were a child, when you were born. And, and people actually spend a lot of money trying to fix their foundation. And so they'll, they'll, they'll grow up and they'll realize, man, I had a, a bad childhood. I, I had a bad experience and it's affecting my life. This thing that happened way back when is affecting my life. And they'll spend money on seminars and therapy and psychology and books. And they'll try to fix that foundation. And the beauty of Jesus Christ is, is he says, don't worry about fixing your foundation. I'll give you a new one. Let me, let's be born again. Because your foundation starts when you're born. Therefore, let's just get born again. Let's start over. We're to tear up that old foundation and we're to start a new one. Scripture overwhelmingly is clear, both Old Testament and New, that Jesus Christ is that new foundation. Matthew 7, 24 through 25. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Notice he says, and does them. It's an important part of that scripture. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and they beat that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Isaiah 28 verse 16, therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I am the one who has laid the foundation in Zion, a stone tested, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. 1 Peter 2, 2 through 6, quoting that verse from Isaiah, says this. Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, 
I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Finally, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is the foundation of a Christian's life. Everything ought to be built on that secure and firm foundation. Now, the world, they have different foundations than Jesus, don't they? They, they have foundations like money. And say, if only I had so much money in my bank account, if I just had this much investment, this much portfolio, then I would be secure. They build their foundation on money. Others build their life upon success. One more promotion, one more degree, just a few more letters after my name. Then I'll be secure. Others build their life upon power. People need to respect me. I'm someone important. Yet others build their life upon possessions. You've probably seen this one before. I need a bigger TV. It needs to be more flat, more inches, and more curved at the same time. I want the curviest, flattest, biggest TV that Costco sells. Then I'll be secure. <clears throat> Some people take the practical approach and build their lives upon security. I need to move to the best school district with the lowest crime rate. I need a job, and, and money's important, but what's more important is job security. I need to know that it's going to last, and I need that 401k, and it needs to be a certain percentage so I know that I can be comfortable. And, and I better store two years' worth of supplies of food in my basement, and I better learn how to speak Chinese and Russian and Korean just in case we get invaded. Then I'll be secure. Here's the one that millennials struggle with. Here's the one that millennials struggle with. Um, and I'm a millennial, so I can speak uh, as a millennial. It used to be a shameful thing to be, be a millennial, but I found myself being really proud to be a millennial the other day. I was at a, a fast food restaurant. This is a true story. I was at a fast food restaurant, and, and the, chip, the chip reader for my card wasn't working, and I was complaining about technology, and the kid behind the counter looks at me, and he goes, okay, boomer. And I'm like, excuse me. I am a millennial, thank you. Call me a boomer. But this is what millennials, I think, really struggle with. And I think social media has influenced this. But it's been a foundation that the world has used for a long time. And it's the foundation of people. I just want more friends, more family. I need people to listen to me, to love on me. I need to be secure. I need to be in the inner circle. I, I, I just need people. And the truth is, and this is going to be hard to hear, and I, I said it to my church too. The truth is there's people sitting in this room today who are not here because of Jesus Christ. They are here because they want a family and they want friends. And I warn you, that's the wrong foundation. I love you. I want to be your family. I want to be your friend. But the foundation has to be Christ Jesus. It has to be Christ Jesus. Money, success, power, possession, security, people. These are the foundations that many people lay. And these are the foundations that Jesus asks you to give up to follow him. He doesn't want any of this left. He wants to be the only foundation in your life. The Bible says if you try to build on two foundations, you're going to fall apart. A house divided cannot stand. A man cannot serve two masters. Yet what really happens, and I've seen this as a pastor, I've seen it so often, is people play spiritual twister with their foundations. And they say, I got my left foot Jesus and right foot money. 
and right hand power and, and left foot sex. And if I could just get over there and then they fall and they crumble. The worst is, is that Jesus says people will mock you if this happens. Matthew 6, verse 21, or verse 24, no one can serve two masters for either he will, hurt the, he will hate the one and love the other or will be devoted to the one and des- despise the other. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. You can't have two foundations. You can't have two masters. You want to know what this looks like in the Christian life? I use a twister example because it's a little bit funny, but let me give you practical examples. What this looks like in the Christian life, take a look at any megachurch pastor who's fallen from grace. Yeah. And, and we've had a bunch in the past couple of years. And, and they've got money, and they've got power, and they've got success, and they have Jesus. And they have a huge church, and they have influence, and they write books, and people respect it. And they don't have to worry about whether people are going to leave their church or not. And the building's paid off. They don't have to worry about if their salary's coming in. They have everything they need. And yet, it's still not enough. Because Jesus wasn't enough for them. So now they're looking for a little more money. Or a little more possession. Or, or maybe even a little more sex. Because my wife isn't enough. I need a little bit more. And then, all of a sudden, it all comes crashing down. And what does the world do? They look and they mock. Oh, look at those Christians. Yeah, oh, yeah. Big famous pastor, Mr. Religious Man. And now all of a sudden he's, he's in, this, in this court case or he's in this, caught up in sexual harassment or, or look at him. He's got 14 private jets and he asked for an offering for a 15th and this is your Jesus that you want me to follow? Literally the world looks at Christians with two foundations and they mock. Don't lay the foundation of Christ Jesus unless you are willing to build your life upon that foundation. Unless you are willing to say, Jesus is my only foundation, in Christ alone will I trust. I'm not going to trust in money. I'm going to use money because I need it to, to, to buy food and pay my bills, but that's not where my trust is. And I'm not going to trust in relationships, and relationships are good, and iron sharpens iron, and there is wisdom in the counsel of many, and I need relationships, but that's not where my faith is. And, and, and it's okay to have some respect and it's okay to, to have some security. But at the end of the day, no matter what, it's Jesus and Jesus only. You could take away my friends. You could take away my family. You could take away my health. You could take away my money. And I could be sitting in a pile of ashes with boils, scraping the boils off with a broken pot. And I will still say, blessed be the name. Amen. That's where I need my foundation to be. Point two this morning, count the cost of a lifetime of spiritual warfare. Count the cost of a lifetime of spiritual warfare. Luke 14, 31 through 32, or what king going into battle to encounter another king in war will not first sit down and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to come against him who has 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Point two this morning, count the cost of a lifetime of spiritual warfare. We be crystal clear this morning. Signing up for Jesus is signing up for war. Yes. Signing up for Jesus is signing up for war. I use this example because I think most of us millennials and older, all right, all you children who mock us and say, okay, boomer, may not understand this example as well. It's in the history books now. 
Do you think that anyone walked into a military recruiter station on September 12th, 2001, not knowing what they signed up for? Do you think anyone watched the events of September 11th and the next day got in their car and drove down to a military recruiter not knowing what they were signing up for? They were signing up for war. They knew it. They were ready to go. They were ready to fight. They were ready to give it all. They were ready to, everything else didn't matter. I'm going to war. I'm not letting this atrocity just go by. I'm going to fight for my country. They were ready to go. But so many Christians today, we sign up for Jesus and we have no idea that we're signing up for war. We have no idea where we're signing up for war. We're like the, the kid who walked into the National Guard station and signed up and got recruited on September 10th. He was just going to the National Guard because he wanted that signing bonus and maybe help with some floodwaters. He wasn't trying to go see war. He wasn't trying to go see battle. That's the National Guard. They don't see battle. A couple months later, he's clearing houses in Iraq. Praise God for our army. But man, know what you're signing up for. Know what you're signing up for. And just to be clear, this is not a short war. This is a war for the rest of your life until Jesus comes back. There's no retiring from this. All right, there's no point where you're like, hey, man, I've been reading my Bible for 50 years. I've got it good. Now I can just sleep in and do nothing. That's not the way it works. You're going to fight battle every day, even when you're in the hospice on life support. You're fighting battles for your family and your friends. Here's, here's the truth, okay? Uh, Pastor Crystal, she preached on Sunday at halftime, right? Halftime. Don't give up at halftime. What I love about being in Seattle is y'all understand Seahawks examples. I try to give Seahawks examples in Cedar Rapids, and people are like, huh? <laughs> I'm like, when you're on the one-yard line at the Super Bowl in the last two minutes, you don't throw the ball. <laughs> and people are like, uh, amen? <laughs> Dang it. And the Seahawks are a second-half team, aren't they? Yes. And how many times have we gone and been under by 12 points, 14 points, 21 points, and come back and won it? We're a second half team because the truth is they don't give awards for the team that starts the best. You get the award for finishing the best. The person who finishes in first place wins, not the person who starts. So it is with the Christian walk. And don't age out of Christianity. And you know what? My my great grandmother, um, she died at the age of 106. And every day until the last day of her life, she prayed for every single one of her children, her grandchildren, her great-grandchildren, and her great-great-grandchildren by name. She spent her days reading her Bible. I have her Bible that, that, uh, that she read, a study Bible, and it is just worn to the max. It looks like it's 400 years old because she used it so much. And I'm like, that's how I want to finish. That's how I want to finish. Ephesians 6, 11 through 13, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities and against cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand evil in that day, having done all to stand firm. Are you willing to wear the armor of God for the rest of your life? Some people look at the armor of God and they say, this is something good for when I go into spiritual battle, I'm going to put on the armor of God. So if I go do something spiritual, 
Then I'll put on the armor of God. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm in the middle of Indonesia and our missions team is about to go into the jungle. So hey, before we go in the jungle, let's all pray and we'll pray on the armor of God. That is nonsense. That is nonsense. Live your life with the armor of God on. You should live your life every day righteously. That's your breastplate. Everywhere you go should be on the gospel of peace. You should go with the gospel in mind, ready to preach and proclaim and live the good news. That's your shoes. Your belt of truth should hold the armor together. I don't follow Jesus because it feels good. I follow Jesus because he's real and God is real and this is true. And if it's not true, I want to know about it because I can make more money doing something else. I'll tell you that much. Your helmet of salvation protects your thoughts, but it also everything you look at, you're looking at through the visor of salvation. That's how your mindset should be. You take up your shield of faith daily, building my faith, so that when those fiery darts from the enemy come, I'm ready to extinguish them. And the sword of truth, the Bible talks about a, a, a battle, and David and Eleazar, the son of, of Dodo, uh, were in this battle. It was just the two of them, and they fought for hours and hours and hours. And it says that Eleazar couldn't let go of his sword after the battle. It said his hand cleaved to the sword. It clung to the sword. That's how our hand should be with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. No soldier goes into battle without training with his weapon. But so many people think that they'll wait until the enemy shows up. Then I'll put on my armor. David, when he went to fight Goliath, Saul gave him the best armor in the kingdom. And David said, I can't wear this because I've never trained with it. I'm not comfortable with it. Don't wait till the enemy attacks to find your army armor. Okay, don't, don't, don't wait till the enemy attacks. Put it on right now. Listen, if you put on a flak jacket, if you put on a military protective vest, and you're not comfortable in it, and you're like, I'm never going to wear this. I'm not going to wear body armor. Don't sign up for the Marine Corps. Okay? Don't sign up for the Marine Corps if you're not willing to wear the body armor. You don't want to go into battle without that thing on. Count the cost of a lifetime of spiritual battle. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6, For though we walk in flesh, we are not waging war against the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but of divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience with your obedience, when your obedience is complete. Are you willing to fight anytime, anywhere, every day, in every place? Amen. Count the cost. 1 Timothy 6, verse 12, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life which you were called about, which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. 1 Corinthians 9, 26 through 27. So I do not run as one who runs aimlessly, and I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control. At least after preaching to others, I myself should find myself disqualified. He's saying, I'm not a shadow boxer, Satan. You should be afraid of me. You should fear me. I'm not those guys over there in the gym boxing against the mirror. I fought real battles. Let's go. Count the cost of battles. Count the cost. Before you sign up for Jesus, you better ready. You better be ready to go to spiritual war. Are you willing to fight the good fight? Not fighting as one who beats the air or runs aimlessly, but fighting a real fight, a real battle. Not just coming to church because it feels nice. Not just reading your Bible because it's the right thing to do and other people can see on the Bible app which plan that you've gone through. 
Not just praying only when it's time to eat. Here's a pet peeve of mine. Do I have time for this? Oh, glory to God. I got time for a pet peeve. All right. As a pastor, I can tell the state of your spiritual walk by how long you pray at dinner time. If you pray at dinner time and you're like, and Lord, we don't want to forget Grandma McKillicuddy's toe fungus, and I just ask that you would cure that. And Father, I pray for my children, Jedediah, Obadiah, and Eli, that you would just bless them. And like three hours later, the food's cold and the prayer's done. And I'm like, bro, you couldn't have prayed that when you woke up? You're supposed to be praying constantly. I'm just saying. I'm sorry. Peppy, Peppy. I'm sorry. That was, Lord, forgive me for that one. Not just fasting because you want to lose the weight, but are you ready to go to war? That's what Jesus means when he says, count the cost. Count the cost. Jesus concludes with this. I'll ask my wife to come up. I'm going to conclude with this. Luke 14, 33. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has, that includes your family and your friends and your relationship and your hobbies and your entertainment and your security and your home, everything. Think about that soldier, September 12th, 2001. And he's walking in and he's going in to sign up. He's in a military recruiter station. I'm not talking about signing up for the Space Force. Okay, he knows he's going to battle. All right? He knows he's going to war. And he walks in. That recruiter has counted the, or that, that recruit has counted the cost. He knows I may not come back from the Middle East. I'm, I'm leaving my wife behind, my children behind, my job behind, my security behind, my friends behind. I'm leaving it all because the cost is worth it. I'm willing to go and die in Iraq to protect this nation. Yet we have Christians who sign up for Jesus because, and and let me tell you, this battle is a whole lot more important than any war fought in the Middle East because the the consequences of this battle are eternal. We're talking about people's souls. And we got Christians who sign up and they're not willing to leave anything. They're not willing to leave anything behind. Count the cost. Christian this morning. Actually, I'll ask everyone, can everyone bow their heads, close their eyes? It's my favorite part of the service because we get to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. And then there may be people here who've never heard it before. And what an honor to get to explain to them the gospel. If you're a Christian this morning, if you're born again and you know it, you know that you're saved hundred percent. Yes, I'm all in. I'm ready for Jesus. If you're a Christian and you know you're saved, I want you to begin interceding. I want you to begin petitioning the Lord. Jesus, if there's anyone in here who doesn't know you, let today be the day of salvation for them. Begin praying. Begin battling. Do some warfare this morning. For everybody else, if you're not a Christian, I want to talk to you. I want to speak to you for a moment. The word gospel is a Christian word, and it means uh, good news. It's a Greek word that means good news. We use it in the church a lot. It just means good news. For there to be good news, there has to be bad news. Otherwise, it's just neutral. The bad news is this, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I'm going to explain to you what that means because I don't like it when preachers just say don't sin because people don't understand what that means. The Bible describes sin in this way. It says sin is lawlessness. Therefore, if you break the law of God, you sin. 
So sinning means God tells us not to lie and we lie. God tells us not to lust and we lust. God tells us not to hate and we hate. God tells us not to gossip and we gossip. Maybe you don't know the laws of God. Maybe you don't know his commands, but the Bible also says this. It says that God gave us a conscience. It says he wrote his law on our hearts. You don't need a teacher to tell you that it's wrong to commit adultery, that it's wrong to murder, that it's wrong to lie and to steal. You know in your heart that it's wrong. God wrote it on on your heart. And every time you do one of those things, it says you're breaking God's law. And God is just. He loves you, but he is just. And a just judge punishes lawbreakers. So there's a punishment. And that punishment is to be separated from God for eternity. You see, heaven is a place that is perfect in every way. And if God were to allow imperfect people into heaven, then heaven would no longer be perfect. You would ruin it for the rest of everyone who was perfect. And and God looked down and he said, I got a problem because only perfect people are allowed to be in heaven and the world is full of only imperfect people. And the Bible says that God does not want anyone to go to hell. The Bible says God is not willing for any to perish, but all to come to repentance. God wants everyone in heaven. That's his desire. But his desire for everyone to go to heaven doesn't override his justice. So he made a way. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, to get up on a cross, to absorb the sins of the world like a sponge, absorbing the sin of all of humanity. And for that sin to die on the cross and to be defeated. He made a way for you and I to be perfect in Christ Jesus. So Jesus died and he rose again. Some ask, how is that fair that one man could take the sins away from the whole world? And the Bible says this. It was one man who brought sin into the world. His name was Adam. He brought sin into the world. Through Adam, sin entered the world. And through this new Adam, Jesus Christ, sin has left the world. It's a free gift. It's a free gift, but you've got to accept it, and you need to count the cost. If you accept Jesus Christ this morning, let me tell you something. You're going to find joy like you've never known. You're going to find freedom like you've never known. Chains are going to break. Relationships are going to be restored. Forgiveness is going to come. You are going to be created a new person. There are people in here today that you wouldn't recognize before Jesus because they're a completely new person, and Jesus wants to do that for you too. Nicodemus in John chapter 3 was, was talking to Jesus. Jesus said, Truly I tell you, Nicodemus, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. It's very, very black and white, y'all. It's very, very black and white. Either you're born again or you're not. Period. Doesn't matter how much church you've been to. Doesn't matter if your parents are Christians or your grandpa is a pastor. Doesn't matter what your religion or your background or whatever. You're either born again or you're not. You're either all in for Jesus or you're all out. There's no halfway heaven. It's all Jesus or nothing. Nicodemus said, what do I got to do to be born again, Jesus? I want to go to heaven. What do I need to do to be born again? And Jesus said, you need to be born of the spirit. And the Bible describes it this way. At some point in your life, before you die, before you breathe your last, you've got to look to Jesus and say, I recognize, Jesus, that I have broken your law, that I have sinned, that you created me and you loved me, and yet I sinned against you, and I'm sorry about that. I don't want to do it anymore. So, Jesus, I'm going to give up my life, 
and I'm going to leave that behind. I'm going to turn from that sin. It's called repentance, and I'm going to turn to you. And from now on, I want to be all in for you. The Bible says you have to confess Jesus Christ as Lord, and that word Lord is an English word. People think it's a Christian word, but it's an English word. It literally means Lord. Jesus needs to Lord over you. He needs to be your boss, your ruler. When he says go, you go. When he says stay, you stay. Say, Jesus, I want you to run my life because I tried running it myself and all I've gotten is nothing but emptiness and regret and hurt and pain. So I want to try to do it your way, Jesus. I'll confess you as Lord. And then the Bible says you need to believe in your heart that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again. And if you feel the tug of the Holy Spirit on your heart right now, that's the Holy Spirit saying, you know it deep down inside in your heart. You know it, but you've got to respond. 16 years ago, 16 years ago in a little elementary school, Camp Washington, the little folding A-frame board that said Faith and Victory Church in front of it, 12 people gathered to worship the Lord. I was one of those 12. I was sitting in the back. I thought I was a Christian. I thought that I was a Christian. I thought, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. But the Holy Spirit started working on my heart. And Pastor Matt preached the gospel, the good news, that you can be born again. And then he asked, he said, if there's anyone in here who's not a Christian and wants to be, raise their hand. And the Holy Spirit just started screaming at me, raise your hand. You're not saved like you think you are. You have to give it all to Jesus. So I raised my hand and I prayed with Pastor Matt. And Jesus entered my life and I became a new creation, born again, and I've never looked back. So I want to ask the same question to you this morning that Pastor Matt asked me. If there's anyone in here this morning, all eyes closed, all heads down, just me and you right now. If there's anyone here this morning, and I ask the question, have you been born again? Are you born again? And you know in your heart the answer is no. And maybe you're afraid right now what other people will think. And maybe you're afraid, but, I, but everyone thinks that I'm a Christian. Ignore that and answer to Jesus right now. Answer to the Holy Spirit. If you know you're not born again, and you would like to be today, you would like to be born again this morning, if that's you, would you raise your hand so I can pray with you? I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Is there anybody else? got three hands in the back is there anybody else don't be afraid don't walk out of here thinking i'll do it later there may not be a later today is the day of salvation i'll ask one more time i see that hand i see that hand if you're not born again and you would like to be today will you raise your hand glory to god i want everyone to look up now we've had about four hands raised today. Hallelujah. Glory to God. But I don't believe the Bible wants undercover Christians. If you're not willing to proclaim Christ in a building full of Christians, and here's what I want everyone to do. I want you to cheer for these people when they stand up, okay? I want you to make them feel like they've made the best decision of their life because the truth is they've made the best decision of their eternity. If you, hold on, hold on, hold on. 
you raised your hand this morning, you know who you are. I know who you are. God knows who you are. But here's the scary part. The Bible says you've got to confess him as Lord. And I want you to do that this morning. Can I get uh, some, some deacons and deaconesses up front? I need about uh, uh, four deacons. I think it's mostly men. Um, but... you raised your hand this morning, whether you're old or whether you're young, I want you to do something bold this morning. I want you to confess Jesus Christ as Lord in front of all of your new family by walking forward to pray with one of these men. y'all can be seated now I want to talk to the rest of the church we're going to let them do their ministry and they're they're going to talk to their savior for a minute I want to talk to y'all because I assume that because you didn't raise your hands that means that you're born again so I'm going to talk to you like warriors this morning I'm going to talk to you and, and I'm going to take you at your word that you're saved if you listen to this message this morning and it hits you hard someone told me this morning said how come every time you come you got to preach a message that kicks me in the teeth I ran that's the Holy Spirit my legs aren't that long if you listen to this morning this sermon this morning you're like you know what if I'm honest I don't know that I've counted the cost completely and if I'm honest I don't know that I'm ready to die for my Savior. I don't know that I'm ready to leave my children behind and my family behind. And I, I don't know that I'm ready to go to spiritual war. And if I'm honest, I don't know that I've ever even put on the armor of God. And, and I don't feel comfortable telling Satan that, that let's fight because I know that he knows that, uh, that I'm a weak link. I want you to be honest with yourself. Don't be afraid. Today's the day to count the cost. Today's the day to say, okay, I'm not going to be like one of those mega church pastors that fails at the end of his life. I'm not going to be one that finds himself disqualified at the end of the race. I'm going to win. If you found yourself feeling that way this morning where you're like, man, I I need to do something to be all in for Jesus. Would you stand up right now? listen to this message and you're like man I just I know that I love Jesus I love Jesus and and he's my savior but man I'm just not there I'm not ready would you stand up don't be afraid to stand up standing up breaks chains man leave those chains in your seats amen There's an old song I want to speak to everyone standing right now. There's an old song called All to Jesus I Surrender. And there's that song, I Surrender All. And sometimes people are like, I surrender some. I surrender most. And Jesus says, that's not going to work for me. (laughs) If you're not willing to leave everything behind, you're not worthy to be my disciple. I want you to repeat after me the words to I Surrender All. And then we're going to sing it. 
But those standing, I want you to repeat it and I want you to think about what you're saying. I want you to think about what you're saying and I want you to mean it. Would you repeat after me? All to Jesus. I surrender. All to him. I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. All to Jesus I surrender. Make me Savior, holy thine. Let me feel thy Holy Spirit. Truly know that you are mine. Church, would you stand with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Amanda's going to lead us in this song, and then I'll hand it over to the MC to close things up.